0: That now.
1: For any one of us who's looking to get more out of life, how many times have you heard it? Just go out and do what you love to do. Now that concept can be liberating if you know what that is. And many people absolutely do, but what if you don't? There are a lot of us like that too. It can be overwhelming when you just don't know what it is you're supposed to do or where to even start. I'm Bill Schaefer, along with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. And on today's program, we're going to introduce you to some fascinating people who had to create a path of their
2: own. I think that's the key, Bill. They had to do it. Uh, You know, it's a verb. you got to get out there and make it happen. And one thing that they do have in common uh, is that they've made a huge difference in their communities, even though that's not really what most of them set out to do initially. But by exploring their interests, their concerns, and the things that matter most to them, they've been able to build an entirely new life for themselves and others lives that have been more exciting and fulfilling than they ever imagined and they believe that you can do it too and and so do we folks you know one is a group of women between the ages of 50 and 80 who created a dance team that's been turning heads supporting charities and smashing stereotypes of age another is an artist desperately searching for a way to earn a living who finally found it when he traded his canvas in for the collectability of classic cars. And first, it's the story of what happened when a woman who always steps up when she sees something wrong stepped up to help the homeless. Ordinary people living extraordinary lives. It is time for Growing Bolder.
1: And it really is no surprise to anybody out there that there are simply too many people in this country Who don't have a place to live. Homelessness is a big problem. Still searching for a solution, it is so big that when it comes to you, me, and everybody else taking some kind of action, most of the time don't we end up like shaking our heads and throwing up our hands and saying, what can we do about it? Well, our our next guest is proof that we can do a lot more than we realize.
2: Yeah, you're right, Bill. You know, these are kind of my favorite interviews. uh, I admire people that move forward and give back and she certainly does that and, and for her it was really something that began in her youth uh, when she was growing up uh, in rural Arkansas. Uh, she had big, big dreams and more times than not the reaction that she got was, you know, well that's nice but women just don't do that. Uh, she was also uh, the one who caused a big ruckus when she asked some of her friends who just happened to be African-American uh, to attend her high school Uh, But she has never, ever shied away from doing what she believes is right. Uh, And sometimes it takes a lot of courage to do just that. It's why she is now the CEO of an organization that's called the Hope Partnership. It helps the homeless get back on their feet, which uh, really is helping all of us in many, many ways. And she believes we all can make a difference as well. So let's say hello uh, to the Reverend Mary Downey. Mary, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
2: Well, we really appreciate having you on your show. And and from what I understand, things really changed for you uh, when you moved to Central Florida and you really couldn't believe what you were seeing uh, as you drove by countless hotels and motels in our you know, famous tourist district. Can you tell us more about that?
3: Absolutely. So in Central Florida and especially in Kissimmee, Florida, which is known for a lot of our theme parks and hospitality and tourism industry, we had um, a lot of families who were not just in sustainable living opportunities. They were living mostly in hotels and motels along that corridor, who in the past had been hotels that had maybe been used for tourism, but in the last you know 10 to 15 years have really been used more so for people um, as our workforce housing. And so we kind of looked at that and saw that that uh, continued to happen, that we had a lot of children who were who were in, living in those hotels and motels, and we really wanted to see what we could do to to make a difference there. Well,
1: mm-hmm. it, you know, it's so understandable that you wanted to help. I mean, we all feel like we should be doing something, but what made you think that you could actually, as an individual, one person new in town, could actually make a difference?
3: Yeah, I think for for me, just knowing that if if someone doesn't try then you'll never know and and not being afraid of someone telling you no i think that has been something that has followed me through my career and just about every decision that i've made is is not being afraid that someone could tell you that you can't do that or or there's no hope or there's nothing that you can do those those things are just not true there is always something that we could be doing there's always a way that we can push forward um i look at most noses just not yet
2: you you, you make a great point i um you know, I don't want to say that I want to look away, uh, but it is really, really easy because I think we all end up believing there really is very little we can do. And we see the commercials on television, you know, that talk about the homeless people, that talk about the homeless dogs, uh, you know, all of this. And it's just sometimes we think, well, there's nothing I can do. So I'm going to look away and pretend that it doesn't happen um, Uh, And that's really what the Hope Partnership is all about. You figured out that there was something you could do and there was something you could do to help others uh, uh, contribute as well. Can you tell us about the Hope Partnership?
3: Sure. So what we do is we really focus on helping individuals address the barriers that they may be having personally and individually that perpetuates their homelessness and poverty. So that could be anything from lack of education to lack something to do with lack, basically, in most cases. Uh so maybe not having an ID or needing to get a better job or even looking for that that final uh apartment or or place to stay that's more sustainable than in their car or a hotel. Yeah. And so really we started out looking at just those things those individual barriers but as our organization grew we started to understand that yes there were individual barriers that people were experiencing but there were also systemic and community barriers that we weren't acknowledging or paying attention to and so we really have shifted in the last few years into not only continuing to do our direct service work but also beginning the conversations around what are the community barriers that people are coming up against and trying to connect the people that we serve with the people who are making leadership decisions in our community and try to help alleviate both barriers on both sides.
1: You know, one of the, the, the good things, I guess, and the bad things as well about this is people hear you, Mary, and man, it sounds so easy. You know, Mm -hmm. you saw a problem, you organize this great organization and it never happens like that. I mean, it starts with regular people uh, feeling something in their heart. And the difference is I think a lot of us wait around, figure, well, it's somebody else's problem to solve. Or I'll wait for my politicians to get involved, some committee, some political party or somebody else to step in. What, what have you learned? What are you learning from your experiences out there every single day that the rest of us need to understand?
3: So I think you're exactly right. I have a friend who often uses the quote, and I don't know who it's aligned to, but it's the start that stops most people. Uh, just the ability to to step in to a space that maybe you don't know what the, the next step is going to be. So I do think that, you know, I'm a pastor, so faith obviously plays a big role in a lot of my decision making and, and moving into this work. I, I do believe, though, that a lot of people, when they look at homelessness or poverty, they want to think that it is an individual issue. They want to be able to kind of pass judgment onto someone's poor decision making or maybe something that happened in their past, and and that kind of helps alleviate some of that responsibility that we feel. I, I say it's like taking. Off our judgment hat when we finally get to a place where we think, okay, well, what's what's really going on behind the scenes here and what can we do that really makes a difference? I think the other thing that's really important to, to recognize is that there is no quick fix to solving poverty and homelessness. Um, and I think a lot of times people get compassion fatigue very quickly um, because they, they want to see results immediately. And that is what I all, always want people to know is that this is a long-term solution that takes long-term relationship building and advocacy.
2: We're talking uh, with the Reverend Mary Downey, uh, uh, who is the CEO of the Hope Partnership, and you know this really is a partnership. We're all involved in this, uh, you know, trying to help uh, our community members, our friends, our neighbors who are homeless. And I'm certain, Mary, that the. Pandemic has exacerbated and maybe even changed the profile of the typical homeless, if there is such a thing. And I'm, I'm guessing there really is not. From your experience, uh, from way back in 2013, uh, who are the homeless today? What age are they? Uh, what do they look like? Uh, you know, what can you share with us about who is in danger of going homeless?
3: So. Pre-pandemic, and I think probably still consistently, our average client, person who was receiving services, person we serve, was a woman about my age with children. Um, And I think that a lot of times people do because it's more visible. We think about people who are experiencing homelessness, uh, who may be living on the street or who may be uh, someone that you might see panhandling on the side of the road. And so that's our kind of first go to when we think about someone experiencing homelessness. But in reality, homelessness can affect any person of any gender of any age at any time. Um, Our goal as an organization and across our continuum is to make homelessness rare, brief, and one time. We know that we will never end homelessness, but we know that what we can do is provide the right services in place, that when someone steps into experiencing homelessness, we can quickly come around them to make it very brief. I think another thing that people don't recognize is that children often experience homelessness in in ways that maybe we don't expect, like living in hotels and motels or double it up with family and friends.
1: I think there's also a part of your mission that sometimes people overlook, too. I mean, obviously, you deal with people themselves who are in bad situations and tough situations trying to help out. I think the other part of your job, maybe even harder, is making everybody else aware of how dire the situation is. And very interesting thing that you did to help do that. You worked on something called the Florida Project. Can you tell us a little about that?
3: Yes. So The Florida Project is a film that came out, um, I think, in 2017. Don't quote me on that, um, even though I'm here. Uh, I can't remember exactly what year it came out, but basically it was a long-term process with the director, Sean Baker, who really studied what was happening in our community and really stepped into the realities of a family who is experiencing homelessness by living in a motel. And so we were able to walk alongside him in that journey. We were able to help read portions of the script that had to do directly with the clients that we were serving um, and, and really just kind of shine a spotlight on what was happening. I think in a lot of ways, you know, you go back to that, looking away, the Florida project gave us an opportunity to, to, maybe help someone not look away, to be able to start looking right into what's happening. Because if we don't tell the truth about our stories, if we don't tell the truth about the narrative, then, then we can continue to ignore it. And um, we often have said that homelessness in this community is hidden, uh, that it's not right in front of your face. And so what we wanted to do was, is try to bring ways where we can showcase what is actually happening in our community.
2: Well God bless you for what you do but because many of us do uh, want to look away and and we should let people know that the whole partnership serves you know more than 10,000 clients a year and, and not only Mary do you not look away I mean you stare at it so a personal question mm-hmm. if I may uh how does that impact you because these are not just 10,000 people these are 10,000 heartbreaking stories that you know, we really don't know how they're going to end. Um, is, is it hard for you uh, to get up and smile? I know that you're passionate about what you do and you believe in it, but it has to take a toll on you looking at this every day and understanding that our culture as a whole is not doing a lot to help.
3: So I think that what is really important to recognize is that we as an organization are a trauma-informed organization. And so uh, we practice that with people that we serve, but we also practice that with our team. And so we believe firmly that people who are experiencing homelessness go through trauma, but also people who hear those stories Uh, It can help connect to your own personal trauma that you may have growing up, or you can have what we call secondary trauma, which is basically, you know, re-experiencing the things based on what you've heard. And so what we work very diligently to as an organization is really focus on our team's self-care, our team's mental health, making sure that we're talking about what we hear and what we see, that it's clear and that we don't try to ignore that it was painful. And so I think as long as we keep that in our forefront, we keep trying to pay attention to that, that actually does help a lot of us sleep at night. I will tell you that there are also spaces where we don't sleep at night. There are situations that occur that we can't let go of, um, or you know, the pandemic you asked earlier, how that has affected our organization. We have seen so many more people experiencing poverty and homelessness in ways that we weren't sure how we were gonna be able to address. We still aren't completely sure what's going to happen in this community. Um, and we, we firmly stand by the idea that we just take the next right step and do the next right thing. We try to in- acknowledge that we are not the fixers, that we are not in charge of fixing everything. We are only in charge of walking alongside and and supporting the people we serve. Hmm.
1: That's a great answer. You know, it's something else about you, Mary, that I think is very different. And I think that one of the reasons that that you're such a good mobilizer and that things have happened well for you is is this isn't a stretch for you. I mean, you've been you know, can, can I put it this way? I think all of us, all of us watch the news. We we see what's going on and we all have that heart where we go, boy, that's terrible, I wish there was something I can do. You've always been the kind of person that stands up to try to do something. And unlike, I guess, a lot of people who maybe feel a calling, go into religion and then say, now what do I do? It's almost like you've always seen the things you wanted to do, and religion was the vehicle for you to to find a group of people that were willing to help. What I'm trying to get at is how do we tap into our hearts? and move forward together instead of letting our minds tell us like as you said not to start.
3: So I think there is a really great way to do that is that we should acknowledge the things that that do that we can't look away from. I think that's our first step is really what are the things that when they come on the news always either makes us emotional or makes us angry because those are the spaces where Um, You know, I would say God calling to you, but, you know, depending on your religious background or where you are, that is the places that your soul is really pushing you towards is, why does that make me angry? Why is that making me emotional? Or why do I want to look away? And why do I feel guilty for looking away? I think those are places of self-reflection that you can really start to ask yourself what is it that makes me have some kind of feeling about this? And then what do I want to do about it? What do I think that is the next step? There's so many resources out there, so many great books to read, so many wonderful people to talk to. Um, I think that's another thing that has really made the work that I do incredibly important is also believing that I do not have all the answers, that there are other people who are doing this work who are smarter than me, who have been doing this longer than me, that I reach out to, that I look for support to, mentors, really looking and leaning on wisdom of other people who have been in these spaces and and recognizing again, it goes back to, it is not your job to fix anything. It is your job to respond.
2: Well, I think you said it best, Um, any person, any gender, any age, uh, at any time. And and folks, that's that's all of us. My final question for you, Mary, and I'm sure Bill will have another one or two. Um, You know, what have you learned from the homeless. Certainly, you have given them a good bit of you and, and have helped them, but, but, but I'm also equally certain that you've learned something about life in general uh, from those you serve. What can you share with us uh, uh, about the moral of this story?
3: Well, I think in general, we learn from our neighbors in, in whatever circumstance that they are. Uh, homelessness is something that some people experience. Uh, other people experience domestic violence in their households. Other people experience food insecurity. Other people experience uh, needing to, to further their education. What I have learned is that we are all humans and we all have similar heartbeats that beat the same. You know, I, you said 10,000 individuals and you said heartbreaking. I thought maybe you were going to use our terminology, which we, we refer to everyone as a heartbeat, uh, because we all have our own stories. There's not a person listening to this or watching this or engaging with us today. That doesn't have a place in their life where there was hurt and there was trauma and there was fear and there was doubt and all they needed was someone to step into that gap with them and began to talk about what it looks like to move forward in those spaces so it. In in reality, that's that's the truth of the matter. That's what I have learned. That the human experience is the same for all of us. And when we begin to break down those barriers and connect on a heart level with the people around us, uh, we will change the world.
1: And my final question, Marianne, I we believe at Growing Boulder that everybody does want to make a difference. Sometimes you wonder if what you do does help. So, what can we do? What can what can we individuals do starting today? to really to really help that's really effective that we can really contribute
3: to serve serve someone else besides yourself that that's really where it starts it starts with getting outside of your own personal wants or needs and looking at anyone around you and engaging with them in a way that that is serving them and then as you serve more people and that trickles into other relationships and other things that you learn. The things that you can do to change your community, to change your neighborhood, to change your church, to change your family dynamic, if it's rooted in service, you will see a difference.
1: What a fantastic way to wrap things up. And, folks, uh, one way to make a difference or a good place to start is to learn more about the Hope Partnership and all of the efforts they're undertaking. And to do that, all you have to do is go to the Hope Partnership. to find out more. Boy, Mark, she was excellent, just like you said she would be. Our thanks go out to the Reverend Mary Downey. And Mark, yeah, it's a huge issue and a big problem, but uh, one that not enough of us have put our shoulder to and any effort behind, because it is one that we all see in our lives.
2: I think, Bill, it makes us all feel a little bit guilty for not doing more, but uh, even more than that, grateful that there are those like uh, uh, the Reverend Mary Downey who are out there because, uh, you know, homelessness uh, has a negative impact, uh, obviously not just on the people that are uh, on the streets, but on our entire community in many, many ways. This is a fight that we all uh, are invested in. We all should be invested in. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it feels good to at least help her spread her message.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty good yardstick in measuring how far we've come as a society, too. You know, we talk a lot, Mark, about uh, the plight of frail, elderly people who are in mm. bad financial situations and, and how difficult that is. Well, this it's just an extension of what we've been talking about today. And the, whether we call them homeless people or ill people or whatever, there are brothers and sisters, there are neighbors and friends, and, and they're fellow human beings. And we're on this earth to help each other get through life.
2: And I think, Bill, sometimes for us to relate to something, we have to realize that it could impact us. And this is another thing that I think the pandemic has reminded us all. You know, it's become very clear to us and we read the statistics, you know, how close almost every family in America is to totally running out of money, to not being able to put food on the table, to not being able to pay their rent or their mortgage. Um, there are a lot of people uh, living hand to mouth these days, and you know many who thought that homelessness was just something that other people would experience now realize it could, in fact, uh, impact them. So hopefully, this will motivate us all to get involved in hope uh, and help organizations like the Hope Partnership. Yeah, and people say, "Well, why are
1: you talking about that on Growing Boulder? Shouldn't we talk about uh, more about age as far as this goes?" But no, it's it's uh, y- your point would be that it's it's something that is important for all of us, especially at this age, especially at this stage in our lives, not to fade back, not to to start wrapping things up, but to step up and to really get out there, lead the way and make a difference.
2: Well, you know, I mean, it does come back to ageism, Bill, because I think 60% of, you know, our elderly go to bed hungry every night and it's easy for our culture to look away. You know, what really impacted me uh, is when she said that typically the homeless person has been a single mother my age. Uh, you know, that, 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 that's frightening uh, and, and, and devastating and, and, and heartbreaking. All kinds of
1: organizations out there, folks, there are all kinds of causes. And as Mary Downey said, there are things that you hear about and watch that will touch your heart. Don't just turn away. Let's all step up find a way to get involved. And as she said, we don't have to solve anything, but we do need to step up and do what we can to make our di- make a difference. It's our responsibility as, as, as people in our own communities. Mark, that was great. And uh, the Reverend Mary Downey, very inspiring and uh, an excellent interview. Coming up, what do you do when what you love to do just won't put enough food on the table? But we'll meet an artist who traded his canvas for a career in classic cars. This is Growing Boulder.
3: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: Moving to Florida means warm weather, blue skies, and a chance to reconsider your Medicare Advantage plan. Did you know new residents may have 60 days to switch? Growing Boulder created a guide to help, available for free at growingbolder.com/slash Medicare. Growing Boulder TV is back for its seventh season on public television, and it is bolder than ever. All new episodes begin airing weekly on WUCF Saturday mornings at 9:30, beginning May 8th. If retirement planning seems complicated these days, there's a good reason for that. Over the past 40 years, three major changes have dramatically impacted how we plan for it. Understanding them can help us start to think about the actual lifetime income it'll take to cover our wants and needs in retirement. Number one is traditional pensions. Retirement income that was guaranteed and used to be the go-to for protected income, boy, they're all but extinct. And they've been replaced by defined contribution plans like 401Ks. And this puts the burden of saving for retirement entirely on your shoulders. Number two, we're living a lot longer. The average life expectancy back in 1964 was 70. Today it's nearly 78 for men and 80 for women. And the third thing is Social Security, which is basically a type of annuity that provides protected lifetime income. Well, that was meant to be a safety net at best, covering 40% of your pre-retirement income. And that leaves a pretty big income gap to fill. And there's still concerns about Social Security's future, including possible reductions in annual payouts. You know, sometimes change happens so gradually over time that that we just miss it. But to recognize these three helps us start resetting plans to make sure you'll have enough money to live the retirement that you want. The Alliance for Lifetime Income is a nonprofit educational organization that believes no American should have to face the prospect of running out of money in retirement. Visit protectedincome.org for easy-to-understand information, tools, guides, and stories of real people who found ways to protect their retirement, giving them the freedom to live a bold life. Thank you for being here. I'm Bill Schaefer. And here's a question for you to start things off. What are the things that make us who we are? You know, You might say it's maybe our passions or our interests. Those are the things that make us unique. Maybe. But where do they come from? Well, we're going to talk with a fascinating guy who was able to take his passion and turn it into a career lucky guy, which has led him on all these great adventures. And it opened the door to some unique and outrageous experiences for him. That'll be great to hear about important because in many cases, if you sit back and really think about the things that matter to you, the things that excite you, those can lead the way for all of us to live a fulfilling life, the life we want to live. They are what oftentimes can help a seemingly ordinary person all of a sudden be living this extraordinary life. It's why I'm really excited to introduce you to a guy named Scott Brandt, and he's going to explain how all this happened for him, and hopefully his story will inspire you to want to make something similar happen in your life. Scott did it with his interest in classic Cars, beautiful cars, the cars we grew up with. He owns the largest and, dare I say, best classic car company in the entire Midwest and beyond. It's called Moto Exotica, and it's been going strong now for over 30 years. So from his home in St. Louis, let's say hi to Scott Brandt. Nice and chilly there this morning, huh, Scott?
4: Good morning. Yes, it is. It's a balmy 12 degrees.
1: We got a great audience listening here, watching here, because it's not just about cars, cars are pardon me upon the vehicle for you, especially to have the real you come out. I mean, look at you, you are, you are really Scott, you are the coolest guy. Yeah. You dress dress outrageously. Awesome. You got this great, you know, this long silver hair and a ponytail and the Zappa look and, and you just really look happy. You look unique. You look like, you know, yourself, and maybe that's what we use our passions for, to try to find out who we are and to see what kind of reaction that gets in our social circle.
4: Growing up in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, there was a car in every television show, whether it was the Munsters, whether it was the Monkeys and the Monkey Mobile, Mr. T's mobile. They were a personality and somewhere along the line, uh, probably in the 80s, uh, the big three lost their way. That's when Japanese cars started to take hold and you'll find then That's when cars kind of came out of, of being a personality and becoming more of an appliance. You know, back when we were kids, we could tell what a car was by driving away at night by the taillights. And also our car was our cell phone. It's how we got the girl, it's how we found the party. Uh, it, we customized it, we made it our own. And so growing up, uh, as many of us is, as your audience has, is um, a little different than, than things are today. I mean, it's, it, kids don't even change the stereo in their car. There's no need. Uh, I, I also went to school for interior architecture and design. So. Art, design, cars um, have always been a passion. Uh, but then this thing came uh, came along the Internet, and it was eBay. And so eBay was the vehicle that, that allowed me to open and broaden my market. And I've got okay. 10 full-time employees. And so, yeah, the passion has turned into a full-time job.
1: This was before eBay Motors. This was one right. of the first guys out there to figure out another way to connect his product with his audience. And again, it sounds so easy, but, but, but you stepped up and you made a huge difference, Scott. I I mean, that's, that's really, Uh, I would say
4: yes, I was probably one of the pioneers, which is interesting, you know, because you don't find many things that you can pioneer anymore these days because right. You you can't do anything that hasn't been done before, but you can do it with a different twist. Um, So, you know, passions are good because it stirs emotions in your soul, but sometimes, you know, business and, 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 uh, just dealing with taxes and dealing with insurance and dealing with employees and, and dealing with all those minutia in, in business can really get you down. Uh, so I was very comfortable with myself at a young age because I was allowed to be myself with my family. And I find, in fact, it's interesting because I I talked to a therapist friend of mine and I said, how many of the people that you talk to on a daily or weekly basis are talking about problems that came from their childhood? And I was startled that she told me 90%. So 90% of the problems that people are dealing with now are things that they have problems with. Hence, 30, 40 50 years ago and it's still welling up inside them so I would say it's best to get right with yourself in your head um, so that that doesn't cloud the away, so that you can find happiness and pursue it in your life with being without being stymied by by things in your past um, and just find a way to get clear on that so that you know life is harder and and probably a whole lot more complicated well i know it is than um than when we were kids uh you know it's a whole different thing
1: and we really cannot overemphasize that it's not just the issues that we bring from our childhood but it's all the good things too that come from our childhood and you kind of learn that calculated risks, not just foolhardy risks. Oh,
4: I don't even calculated. know if they're calculated. You just go for it, you know? <laughs> I mean, somebody was asking me the other day about budget. I'm like, what's a budget? <laughs> but it's Seriously, it's, 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 I mean, budgets are, are, are good to lay out, and it's a nice path, but at the end of the day, if you got to spend more money to make something happen, and just because you wrote that budget down, and it's steadfast, and, and, and you said, oh, I'm going to stick to it, well, it could prevent you from doing something else or taking a risk or an opportunity that presented itself to you. But you don't because you put it down in stone on your budget and say, well, my budget doesn't allow me to do that. If that budget doesn't allow you to do it, it will keep you from looking at opportunities that might not otherwise have been, because people do their budgets, they do it the year before. Well, you don't know what's
1: coming the year ahead. And a great point, it takes life and turns it into work instead of just being able to be spontaneous and enjoy things. It's another example, Scott, of how your passion led to these great opportunities. Look at this world that you have built around you from your passion. And again, it's not just about the cars. It's about you and who you are and that the cars bring out, you know, to the for the, for the biggest part, right?
4: Right, absolutely. It just, you know, you just don't know what... What's gonna come the next day, and and I've been some done some reflecting as is now I'm into my sixties, and uh, I I say we all have three chapters in our life, and it's it's a pretty short book, uh you know the first chapter is one to thirty if you will, and that's kind of the learning chapter, and you got the working chapter is thirty to sixty, and nobody's gonna fight me on chapter three because we don't know when it ends, you know. So it's 60 to 90. Does that give you 30, 60, 90? I'd say that was being pretty, uh, pretty lenient. I don't know what the exact word is, but yes. And then and then so then I come up with a new term as well as I'm in this third chapter. And, and, and that's my term ROA, not ROI, not return on investment, but return on aggravation. Because ROI really only works at, at, at work. It works for when you take money in, you want money out. But ROA can work with, oh, I don't want to go out with that couple. I, I just don't find them fun. Or I'm not going back to that restaurant. You know, Everybody says it's great, but it sucks. It's not worth the aggravation to go there. So the ROA factor now is something that I put uh, through my head a lot more than I used to and, 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 and try – and do those things that don't bring you aggravation or angst so that you can live your best life. And, and it, it just applies to a lot of different things.
1: And, Scott, uh, you know, you're an a when we were growing up. If we would have met somebody this age now, they would have been sitting in the middle of a room watching reruns of Matlock on a small TV up in the corner, sitting in the recliner waiting for the end. How do you view age? It doesn't seem like it's slowing you down at all
4: no it's not i mean i've got uh my dad is gonna be almost 90 he's gonna be 89 years old this year i i he's got a brother and sister still alive that are 90 and 92 and i've always had a youthful family that always uh pursue their passions and try to get the best out of life so they've been great role models um my mom got rest her soul uh she was taken last year by cancer So F cancer, Um, but she was the one that taught us to live life to the fullest. And and her standard line was life is no dress rehearsal. And if you get up every morning and let that run through your head with the ROA factor, it'll take you a long way. That's for sure.
1: A great story to tell. Your life hasn't happened by accident, but completely by intent, which is another great point. You've worked hard to be who you are, and it doesn't appear that's going to change anytime soon, and that is inspiring for all of us to hear. Folks, Scott has a very lively website. If you're a classic car person, you'll love it. You need to check it out, and even if you're not, it leads to Scott's YouTube page filled with those fascinating, interesting videos, including the trip to Saudi Arabia. They're creative, interesting, and well-made. Just check out MotoExotica.com to find out more our thanks to Scott Brandt. What a what a great and amazing guy. I knew he'd be an excellent guest. Coming up, what happened when a group of older women in Southwest Florida decided to put on their dancing shoes to stamp out ageism? This is Growing Bolder.
4: kept me hungry. The music kept me
0: high. The party kept on going until I thought I died.
3: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: Protected income from an annuity can help cover essential expenses in retirement, giving you the freedom to live the life you want. The right financial professional can show you how. Learn more at protectedincome.org. And by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging more at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Statistics show that there's a pretty good chance we'll all end up having to take care of a family member. It's one of the most stressful things you can do, mostly because caregivers generally don't ask for help until they're way past the point of needing it. Annette Kelly, who was CEO of the Central and North Florida Alzheimer's Association, says reaching out is one of the most important things you can do.
5: I think that connection can be really important because subliminally you learn how other people manage. You learn not only what they're doing that's laudable, but what they're doing that you would never do, you know, both sides. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't want to go there. And you also learn ways of inviting into your caregiving situation support. I've accommodated caregiver support groups for years, and it has always been so enlightening to see the connections happen that you would not have expected. You know, it's, it's just remarkable. I've learned so much myself from doing that.
1: Yeah, It's that shared knowledge yeah. is where the power comes from.
5: Yeah, and the share, sharing of dismay and helplessness that then puts us, the caregiver, in a position of filling up again, that bottoming out sort of experience, which people fear. I've heard so many people say, I don't want to go to a caregiver support group. I don't want to hear other people's problems. Well, it's really not that. (laughs) It's much more about hearing your own spoken a different way. Yeah.
1: Sharing what you've been dealing with and learning from what others have been through, not only will it result in a better experience for the person you're caring for, but it really can make all the difference for the caregiver, too. More insight and information at growingbolder.com/slash Medicare.
2: If you listen to this program, you know that dance is not an activity exclusively for the young, and we're going to prove it to you again. In fact, a group of women from Southwest Florida are going to prove it. They're called the Calendar Girls, self-described as maturity in motion. And not only do they perform at all kinds of community events, but every time they do, they prove that age is just a state of mind. Founder Katherine Shortledge, C.J. Johnson, and Donna Elio explain what it is that sets this group apart.
6: Well, you know, there is a number of senior women's dance teams, but they're not all the same. And I think what sets us apart is a couple things. One is our cause, and the, the, the Southeastern, Southeastern Guide Dogs. Yeah. And I think the other thing is we're, there's 30 of us. And, you know, to get 30 women to be in sync and to have that energy and, ad- and positive attitude, I think really makes us much different.
1: And there is something else. The Calendar Girls range in age from their 50s up to 80, each of them staying fit, having fun, and making a difference in the lives of others.
0: We bring smiles wherever we go. Nursing homes, country clubs, biker rallies. And since 2006, we have proudly sponsored 24 Southeastern Guide Dogs for an American Veteran. And So we've not only entertained our community and modeled fitness, but we've served the United States veterans, and we're very proud of that.
1: They also offer something else, something more subtle. You can see it in their faces and their attitude. The calendar girls show us all that age can be amazing.
0: I'm turning 70, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, a decade to celebrate that I feel good, I have great
1: friends. This is one of the only groups I've ever seen where women can't wait to tell you their age.
0: Oh, absolutely. We're proud of, I mean, we're proud of who we are and we're all different shapes and sizes, but we're healthy, we're conscious of our body, we listen to our body, which like, you know, when you get older, a lot of times people want to just discredit you, you can't do that. And we're like, watch this. We love it when people come up and say, how old are you? You know, and I'll say, 65, no, you're not. Well, yes, I am.
1: (laughs) What do you think the message is? What do you hope the people that see you go home and start thinking about?
6: Don't ever give up. You know, there's so much life in life. And just to continue to be healthy and to do the things that you love and push yourself. You know, one of the things that You know we do is challenge ourselves every day physically and mentally as we learn new routines and like cj said we're not just doing short routines we're doing some pretty interesting moves that girls half our age are doing and so the message is age is just a number be proud of that number and the older i get the more proud i am to say i am this you know i am over 60 years old and yes i'm on a senior women's dance team it's it's fabulous. I feel great. I don't take any medications. I you know I've ne- I have never I haven't felt this way since I'm in my twenties. Yeah.
0: Probably in mean, what I'd like to do is see our walkathon.
6: Donna,
1: what's yeah, it taught you about age long long that you didn't expect or didn't know?
6: It doesn't have to. I don't have to have it. I don't. I don't. Age doesn't define me at all. I mean, what defines me is how I feel, what I do for my community, how I give back, and so. Aging with this group of sisters is not aging, it's growing.
1: Something else that grows is their love for Southwest Florida, because the Calendar Girls believe that where you live can make a big difference in how you live.
0: Southwest Florida loves the Calendar Girls. I mean, I can't imagine the Calendar Girls not being around and, you know, you do have to think about that, but I want everybody to know that, you know, We're here, we're vibrant, we love life, you know, this can be you.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the Calendar Girls. Aren't they a great example of what can happen when you seek out people who share your interests? There was no dance group until they got together and created one. They made it happen. These days, with the ability to search and connect online, it's more possible than ever before to find like-minded people and create ways to give your life the boost you've been looking for.
1: Up next, definitely something to think about. It's On My Mind with Mark Middleton. This is Growing Boulder.
3: Support for Growing Boulder provided by...
2: There's a place in Florida home to wide open spaces, uncrowded white sand beaches, sparkling Gulf of Mexico waters, and endless natural surroundings. Florida's Paradise Coast, Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades. The perfect reward for that long overdue getaway, safe and spectacular. Farm-to-table restaurants, luxurious shopping, arts and culture, golf, fishing, and more. When only Paradise will do, it's ParadiseCoast.com.
1: No matter what age you are, as time rolls on by, man, things change. We change. Our situations, our perspectives, even our priorities, everything changes. There's so many times where taking a moment to bring up a topic and talking about it can really make a big difference, and that's why in each program here, we present On My Mind with Mark Middleton. Mark, what do you have for us Well, I
2: appreciate you mention age, Bill, because that really is what's on my mind almost every day. But but as many folks know, May is uh, Older Americans Month. It was back in 1963. President Kennedy designated May as Senior Citizens Month. In 1980, uh, President Carter changed the name to Older Americans Month, and its purpose is to recognize Americans who are age 60 and over for their contributions and provide them information to help them stay healthy and active. You know, I love the idea of it. Bill, this is what irritates me is that maybe 60 was old back in 1963. It certainly doesn't come close to qualifying today. And, you know, I've looked, uh, did a quick search of the activities that are offered in Older Americans Month for those of us over 60. And uh, a lot of it includes bingo and raffle prizes and picnics with free boxed lunches. The resources they provide, incredibly important. uh, Elder abuse prevention, Falls uh, prevention, medication management, how to protect yourself from scams. You know, those are important. But what we really need in Older Americans Month, which I now call Bolder Americans Month, is we need help reinventing ourselves. We need encouragement to pursue our passions. We need help taking up new activities. We need help figuring out ways to give back to our community. Uh, We need to figure out how to avoid and delay the services that they're trying to tell us we need at 60, because if we don't delay our need for those services, uh, it's going to put a burden, a financial burden on our, uh, on our country that uh, is unprecedented. It's
1: almost like all of those things you mentioned, Mark, they're almost ways to try to convince people to start giving up. To start giving in. that You know, you, your purpose is done. There's really not much less for you to do. So go sit in the corner and try not to hurt yourself is almost what we're saying. But there should be, instead of Older Americans Month, like you said, Bolder Empowerment <laughs> I Month. I love it. Because it's time to empower people of our age and younger and older. You know, anybody in a, in a life stage that wants more out of life. And who wants more out of life than somebody who's experienced things already? To be able to get out there and do things with the wisdom we've gained, the experience we have, and, and the energy and passion for making a difference, for leaving
2: a legacy in life. You took what I suggested, Bill, <laughs> and you plussed it. And, and, and I thank you for that. But, but, but I think here is the message, folks. It's these subtle cues that we get constantly. Calling us older Americans at the age of 60 is highly problematic. Uh, You know, we are not old. We are still playing the game and we're better at it than we ever would. So, uh, yeah, let's start thinking of ourselves uh, at 60 years old as, you know, still running the race.
1: Yeah, the big message here is, folks, I don't care what age you are listening to this program. You are not too old and it is never too late So get out there and live the life you want to live, not just your early years, not just the glory days of your 20s and 30s, but make where you are now meaningful and make it the best of your life. And that's what we try to do at Growing Boulder, and especially... On GrowingBolder.com, please go there, check out the website, see all the tools and resources and interviews and things like that that will surround you in a sea of positivity and in in, in an environment to where you will feel like you have self-worth, and it's because you do. So get out there, live your life to the fullest, folks, and start Growing Bolder.
0: Fire and flaming road Using our